Welcome back to the On the Brain podcast, where we showcase exciting research at the University of Calgary. Do you ever wish you could control things with your mind? Brain-computer interfaces and access technology are important tools for children and individuals with more limited mobility. Today we talk about how this new technology is helping their quality of life improve and the unique research happening in this area here at the University of Calgary. My name is Claire. I'm a second-year master's student in the neuroscience program, and welcome to On the Brain podcast. I'm so lucky to be joined today by Joanna, who is a first, almost second-year master's student in the lab of Dr. Adam Curtin. So welcome, Joanna. Please tell us a little bit about you and your research. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, Claire. So I am born and raised in Calgary. I've lived here my whole life. And I did my undergrad degree at Mount Royal University. Definitely thought about kind of getting a little bit specific and doing a neuroscience degree for my undergraduate, but decided that I wanted to stay a little bit more broad for, for the initial degree. So now I'm really happy that I'm at the University of Calgary doing my master's in neuroscience with Dr. Curtin, as you mentioned. And my work focuses on looking at brain-computer interfaces for children. So specifically, we're looking at kids who have quadriplegic cerebral palsy, so pretty severe movement disorder, and seeing what we can use these applications with them for, get them to do um, some really cool things with some really great science. Amazing. Yeah. So can you tell us a little bit about what you mean when you say brain-computer interface? Yeah, absolutely. So I myself, I think this time last year also had never really heard of a brain computer interface until I talked to my supervisor and a couple people in the lab that I'm in now. So essentially what a brain computer interface is, is an interface and sort of whole technology setup that can take brain activity and turn that brain activity to control some sort of effect or device. So this could be a computer or a video game, so right. something kind of simple. So might think sort of like, okay, like what might be the purpose of that? I can already control a computer or a video game. Um, typically how we do this is you voluntarily control your muscles to either move a mouse or to press buttons on a remote. But if you think about kids who have movement disabilities or something like cerebral palsy, they might not actually be able to have that sort of voluntary movement. And so this really cool brain-computer interface system can actually bypass that brain-to-muscle connection and just go right from brain activity to control some sort of device. Right. And what is one of the more interesting examples that you've seen mm -hmm. in terms yeah. of the application of BCI? Yeah, I think, honestly, there's so much going on <laughs> in terms of the BCI world. There have been kind of like robotic arms that you can control. So for example, if you don't have function of a hand or your fingers, you can control a robotic arm with a brain computer interface. And I think specifically just from like work in my lab, we don't have any robotic arms like that, unfortunately, but we do have the kids in our program driving their power wheelchairs sometimes with their brain computer interface, which is really big for them because yeah. they've never been able to even control any sort of um, switch to help their wheelchair go forward. So they can just sort of do that with a mental command through this brain computer interface, That's which incredible. is really awesome for them. 
so yeah this is this is incredible work as i was mentioning you know earlier to you and even in conversations leading up to today but can you talk a little bit about the world of pediatric brain computer interfaces why brain computer interfaces are so important in this age group and Mm -hmm. the novelty of this technology in the age group as well yeah absolutely so like i sort of did mention a little bit the brain computer interface sort of research world and even just kind of getting it into applications in lives is really quite a big field but right now most of that work is done in adult populations there are lots of companies sort of getting it out there for just like you or me if we wanted to you know integrate a brain computer interface gaming system or something like that if we were really into gaming and then there is another portion of it that's for sort of like adults who have stroke and then might lose function of a hand or an arm and using sort of brain computer interfaces for rehabilitation or to you know do a function that they no longer can do because of that stroke. But most of this work has really neglected pediatric populations, which is too bad because there definitely is a population in pediatrics that could really benefit from brain computer interfaces. And we know that just in terms of sort of a research to kind of clinical practice pipeline there that the results that you might find for adult BCI, brain computer interfaces, is not the same for kids just because we know that their brains are different they are developing still so there's just all sorts of things that definitely need to be studied in kids even though they might have been already studied in adults so at least for me why i think this is really cool and has lots of potential kind of first things that come to mind is just the plasticity of the developing brain and this makes it challenging to study more so than adults but it also makes it a really interesting and a really good time to be studying how kids with cerebral palsy might be able to use a brain computer interface and how this could affect their brain kind of their whole lifetime because they could be lifelong users of a brain computer interface. Right. And just to clarify for the users, when you say brain plasticity, mm-hmm. what do you mean by that? Yeah. So mainly I'm talking sort of about kind of activity dependent changes in your brain. So, you know, our brain sort of general structure. Um, sort of functioning is pretty consistent and it it develops in a certain way, but we can make changes in kind of the circuit wiring of our brain throughout our lifetime, but particularly in that sort of newborn to childhood period, um, our our brains are highly plastic and can really be changed by activity. So this is all amazing, Joan, and thank you so much for providing us sort of this background into this type of research. And I'm wondering if you can talk about your specific research question and what you look at. Yeah. So my master's research question is really surrounding fatigue and specifically brain-computer interface fatigue. Wow. You can probably talk to kind of other people in my lab, even adults who have tried on the brain-computer interface, this sort of headset that records that brain activity to translate. And it's quite difficult, takes a lot of kind of focus um, and specific attention on what you're trying to do with the brain computer interface. So the development of fatigue is something important that we need to consider, especially for pediatric populations who typically um, fatigue a little bit more than adult populations might, especially when they've had an early brain injury that um, leaves them even more tired potentially than some 
typically developing kids. So that's really what my study is all about, is looking at different brain-computer interface applications, how they might differentially impact fatigue, right. and then if somebody is fatigued, how does this impact their performance on a brain-computer interface, which is important when you start to think of people potentially driving their own wheelchairs with their brain-computer interface. You must be highly controlled, or you could drive out into traffic or something like that. So it will be really important down the road. Right. And so how do you measure something like fatigue or track mm -hmm. that over time? Yeah, definitely. So fatigue, as I've sort of realized kind of getting into the literature, which I've had to do for my project, is normally divided into sort of two kind of main components, one being the subjective feelings of fatigue, so simply just asking somebody, do they feel tired? Right. And then the other component of that is fatigability, and that's more so the performance kind of decline that you might expect if someone is fatigued. So tracking things like the brain-computer interface performance to see that do the subjective um, ratings of fatigue match with when people's performance on the brain-computer interface kind of declines a little bit. So for us, we are using both of those. We'll be looking at subjective measures of fatigue, and then we'll also be looking at the performance throughout the experiment on the brain-computer interface. And then the last part that I think is really cool is we're also looking at kind of like electrophysiological fatigue, um, if that's the right word to use. We'll be recording electroencephalography data, so looking at um, electrical activity of the brain. And we need this to control the BCI, but we're also going to be looking at this for markers of fatigue. So just kind of different different brain waves have been shown to indicate that someone might be fatigued okay. or being fatigued, like on their way to being fatigued. So we'll be kind of looking and analyzing that data as well. So this research is so interesting and sort of for any audience members that are considering entering the world of BCI, whether they have a research background or not. Like I'm wondering if you can talk a little bit about what your day-to-day -day looks like, as variable as it may be. I think that's something that we'd be interested in knowing. Yeah. So I think what's cool uh, for me and probably for a lot of people about BCI is that just because of the nature of how technical it is, but then also trying to actually translate it into kind of a clinical use right. um, for a population that could benefit from it, is the team is really multidisciplinary. So I do spend quite a bit of time sort of just working and interacting with other members in my lab who have more specialized um, kind of skills than I do for some of the technical side of things. Right. So for example, right now, I've just been kind of meeting on and off with the tech team in my lab and they are the ones who are actually doing all of the coding and building these BCI applications for my study. So that's not something I have the skills to be able to do myself. So it does require that I'm sort of communicating with them anything that I sort of like want in the design and they're also sort of helping me showing me sort of like how these things are normally built, what you can and can't do with a system that I might not know because I just don't have that technical background. So I think, I guess I would just say because I am in the kind of earlier stages, I haven't started collecting any data yet. It's really just been spending time reading the literature and formulating this question, making sure that the methods that I'm using have been and are going to answer the questions that we want to ask, making yeah. sure that we're gonna collect the right number um, of people for the study. Spent some time too, having a couple meetings with 
one of the fatigue experts. So I think just really cool getting to talk to people with such kind of like niche interests and knowledge sets that kind of all work together for my project and sort of I need little bits and pieces from all of them. So lots of collaboration in that front. And then I think just the sort of flexibility, especially now kind of COVID is a little bit <laughs> behind us, but it's given a lot more flexibility to how I work. So I do spend some time at the children's hospital, but I'm also able to work at coffee shops or at home, um, which, is, which has been nice for me as well. That's wonderful and so great to see you're embracing the challenge of working in a more technical environment mm -hmm. and building those skills alongside the support of your colleagues, even maybe coming mm -hmm. from the more health backgrounds. I think that's, that's really impressive and a great message to people to, mm -hmm. to embrace, to embrace you know, going out of your comfort zone a little bit to learn new things. Yeah, and I think, like I said, I, I didn't know what a brain-computer interface was right. when I reached out to my supervisor. He does a lot of brain stimulation as well, sort of um, in that kind of area for modulating um, the brain and trying to do that in sort of like a therapy way. Mm -hmm. So that's actually why I reached out to him. Um, but yeah, ended up working in something that is a really, really technical field, so I'm definitely learning a lot. So Joanna, the last question I wanted to ask you today is what motivates you to do this work? I'm really interested to know. Yeah. So what motivated me sort of like initially just looking for something I wanted to do my master's in, specifically in neuroscience, was I just really wanted to be able to work sort of in a clinical lab and do hands-on work with um, patients. So I think that I found a really great lab for that and I'm very happy where I am. And for the specific work that I'm doing for my master's on brain-computer interfaces, definitely what motivates me is the kids and families and the success stories that I think the lab already has. Just again, because I didn't come from that technical background, I'm not super knowledgeable on it, I'm not super interested or passionate about that sort of side of things. So it's really just how this very cool technology, again, mixed in with some pretty advanced and very interesting neuroscience, is actually helping these kids and families and is something that they believe in and something that they are excited to use yeah. and to kind of keep working with, with their kids. So it's definitely the kids and families and all the little kind of milestones and different things we can help them do that they maybe wouldn't have been able to do before. Yeah, and I think even more than right, the technology, just the sense of hope, the sense of, it's just very special to see that these, these interfaces are, are in the works that, that they're continuing to be developed mm -hmm. and how large of an impact they have. So congratulations on all the work that you're doing, that you will continue to do. Thank you so much for joining us and giving us an introduction to this field. And yeah, yeah. Uh, we will see you all next time on On the Brain podcast.